Okay, good morning, everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you're here for week two of Politics of Jesus. Thank you for coming back, I think. That's the right way to kind of begin. And today, if you're just joining with us, we really do want to describe and talk about actually the politics of Christ. That as we shared last week, I think it's important to actually discuss politics in church for a number of reasons. Because truthfully, politics does affect your life in little and small ways. And the same thing for me. Right? And as I shared last week, I believe that what we are going to experience in the next year is actually increased political rhetoric, intensity, and all of that. So it's important to address. And then thirdly, and most importantly, I really believe that the politics in the Western evangelical church is the biggest idol and temptation that the Western evangelical church has. So much so that as I shared with you last week, actually, that politics is now a defining feature of evangelicalism over core faith doctrines. That what defines people is their politics when they say evangelicals, not faith. And this is a problem. It's a big problem. Andy Stanley in his book, In It to Win It, puts it this way. And he has this question. And it's kind of an important one. He puts it in American context. Is there any noticeable difference between Republican Jesus followers and Republican non-Jesus followers? Ooh, hey. But then he says the same thing. Is there any noticeable difference between Democrats who follow Jesus and Democrats who don't. And statistically, do you want to know the answer? There is no difference. This is a problem. This is a massive problem. And he goes on to actually speak about this. He says that um, one, once the church, speaking about the Western church, has relegated Jesus to just the role of forgiver of sins, right, rather than the true king of our lives, we opened our door to lesser kings. He says thrones never remain empty for long. Consequently, unlike the original Christians, nobody is accusing us of being members of the party of Christ. Right? And we need to be known, what he's getting at there is true, we need to be known for our Christ-likeness over our politics. Amen? Right? Christians on both the left and the right should be able to say amen to that. That what should define us, what should define us is our following of Jesus Christ first and foremost. But that isn't happening. And that's a huge, major problem. This is why we talked about last week that the beginning of the series is that we actually pledge allegiance to Jesus over any politician, any party, any other group. We follow him fully and only. He is the king of our lives. And so last week was a little bit more diagnostic where I shared with you some of the problem. Today, I want to be a little bit more constructive, actually. And what I want to do today is I want to explore what I believe the politics of Jesus actually look like by exploring his teaching, his ministry, his example, and all of that. I want to take a look at how we could understand his politics. And in case you don't remember, remember last week when I defined politics, politics is really all about how we uh, organize and structure like power, people, decision-making, and purpose together. So we're going to explore Jesus' life and ministry today, seeing how does he actually organize people? How does he think about power? How does he think decisions should be made? And how does he structure things together that what I want to do is to prioritize his life, his teaching, his ministry, and his example? So that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. And today, the way I want to describe Jesus' uh, politics is with four words. Four words that I think do describe kind of who he is in his politics here on earth and how we are called to actually live as well, okay? The four words are these, okay? It is giving, justicing, welcoming, and sacrificing. And yes, I know justicing is not a word, okay? In case you're wondering, like, yes, I know that. But I want to make it into a verb, okay? 
that we are not just called to think about justice, but to do justice. And so what I want to do is I want to explore each of these words, and I want to ground them scripturally. Today, we're going to be only and fully in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the Gospel of Luke. Luke, if you don't know this, is the gospel that is all about like maturity, discipleship, following Christ, and what it looks like practically. And so we're going to explore a number of scriptures today, really trying to summarize and kind of explore the politics of Jesus through his life, through his ministry, and through his teaching. And so let's begin. Let's begin with the idea of giving. That I think, if you're going to take an honest look at Jesus' life as a whole, one of the themes you would have to use to describe his life is this theme of giving. That Jesus' ministry and his life in the service was all about giving, generosity, you can even put it this way, and a radical redistribution of wealth. That's how he taught. That's how he lived. That's what he invites us into. Giving, generosity, and a radical redistribution of wealth. That the only way I think you could honestly describe Jesus' ministry is through a politics of giving. I want to show you through the scripture. I'm going to read to you a verse that is most often not read in church, mainly because no one really practices it, so we don't really pay attention to it. But here's what I believe. The Bible says something. We should pay attention to it. Amen? It's pretty straightforward. So let me read to you a verse in Luke chapter 3. Here we have John the Baptist preaching and teaching, and he's telling the people what they need to do. He's telling the crowds what they need to do to get ready for the Messiah, to get ready for Christ to show up. Like, what does that look like? Listen to what he says. It's something that's a little bit surprising. He says this, to get ready for Christ. If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Now, we can be honest in church, amen? The vast majority of us do not practice that verse, right? This is not a judgmental thing. It's just an honest thing. Because today, I'm wearing two shirts, okay? In case you're wondering. Hey, I own more than one of the two shirts, all right? Yeah, surprising, I know, right? That even, if you can put it this way, even the most staunch fundamentalist person who says, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, most people who believe that own more than one shirt, right? What I'm trying to get at here is something that's really obvious. It's just that according to Jesus and according to the Gospels, the way of Jesus is actually a politics of giving. And even if we don't always practice it, we should never deny, dismiss, or minimize what Scripture clearly teaches. And the Gospel of Luke, and in many other Gospels, clearly teach that we need to give, be generous, and have this radical redistribution of wealth. That is a part of the very ministry of Jesus. And it begins here in Luke 3, but I'll read to you a number of other verses in Luke that get at it. And in case you're wondering, Luke, it's a Gospel, is the Gospel that talks most about money. And it comes up all the time in the Gospel. Here are just a few other examples of this need and challenge to give. Jesus says this in Luke 6, uh, 30. This is his kind of equivalent of the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew. He says this, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Ooh. Sometimes Jesus' teachings are a little bit challenging, amen? Right? Like if we were to actually put this into practice, this is, this is kind of rough. It's going to get rougher, okay? Next verse. Next verse. Sorry, in case you didn't know. Okay. Sorry, it's in verse 36. Love your enemies. We're all like, okay, we can try to do that. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Oh, all right, maybe a little bit. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Did you know Jesus said that? Your enemies? We're called to give to them even? 
that giving and generosity is supposed to be such a part of our politics that we actually give to those who are our enemies. Listen to what he continues. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting like the children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Okay? Or verse 36. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Or we read this in Luke 12, 33, Jesus saying what you need to do. Sell all your possessions and give to those in need. Or to the rich young ruler, he says, there's only one thing you still haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have your treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Or we could look at the model disciple in the book of Luke. Do you want to know who the model disciple in the book of Luke is? It isn't any of the disciples, actually, because they continually screw stuff up, which is why I really like Peter, because I feel like him, right? Actually, the model disciple in the Gospel of Luke is Zacchaeus, actually. He's really raised up as like, he's somebody who gets it. He's someone who practices the way of Jesus. Look what happens once he experiences Jesus. It says this, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, because Jesus is Lord, right? And said this, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, if I have cheated anyone on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That's in Luke 19, verse 8. What I want to just raise today is something that is so obvious. If you honestly just read the Gospel of Luke, is that the ministry, the politics, the example, the ministry of Jesus is a radical ministry of giving, of generosity, of redistributing wealth. That's a part of it. And honestly, we almost need to try to not see it. It's so blatant and so there that according to Jesus, the way I put it this, is that his politics is a politics of giving, okay? Secondly, what I would like to say is that his politics is not only a politics of giving, it's a politics, politics, I've never said the word politics so much in one sermon, okay? It's a politics of justice or justicing, that we need to do justice, to live and act rightly. For this, I want to take a look at actually Luke 4. I'm just going to take a look at one section today. There's lots of places where I could show you that Jesus is about justice. But here in Luke 4, what is happening is this. Jesus is about to actually start off his ministry. He's about to, like, kick into high gear and go and be a part of really changing the world, right? And here in Luke 4, what he does is he gives us a summary of his mission, of his kind of vision or mission statement. He is explaining to his hometown, this is what he is about. This is the lens to see his kingdom through. This is what his politics look like. Let me read it to you. It says this, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, because Jesus attended church. It's a good idea, okay? That's what that means. And he stood up and he read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. These are his words, and he actually speaks them aloud. It says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see. The oppressed will be set free. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. They're waiting for him to comment on what he just wrote, right? On what he just, uh, what he just shared. And then he began to speak to them. This is what he says. He says, this scripture you've heard has been fulfilled this very day. How has it been fulfilled? Because Jesus is there. Because this is what he is about. That wherever Jesus is, there is justice, there is freedom, there is new hope. That's what's going on here in this passage. That you don't need a biblical degree, right? To, or an understanding of Greek or anything. 
to realize that when Jesus quotes this passage and says, this is what I'm about, this is what's being fulfilled in uh, kind of your midst, that he is talking about justice. These are justice phrases. When he says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor, set captives free, heal the, uh, heal the blind, and set the oppressed free. This is all justice language. That when he talks about the year of the Lord's favor, this is a time where debts will be released, where everyone will live righteously. Will there be justice like a river that will flow? That's what he's picking up on. That Jesus is really clear here in Luke, that when he shows up, his ministry, his politics is about justice. It's about justice. I want to be clear with this too. When Jesus is talking about justice here, he's not just talking about like spiritual justice, like things in the future. He's talking about the here and now and whole bodies and whole persons that yes, unequivocally, Jesus has come to set us free from spiritual oppression. Absolutely, for sure. But he also has come to set us free from any actually oppression at all, right? Not just spiritual oppression, but any form of captivity. That's what he says. I've come to set the captives free. This is good news for real people with real issues in real life. Okay? It's about today, not just in the future. Okay? So that when we are described Jesus' ministry, his ministry, his kingdom, has to include this idea of a politics of justice, or justicing that he's about doing justice. Next, if you want to describe the politics of Jesus, I think you would not only describe it with giving and with justicing, our word for today, okay? I think you would also describe it with welcoming. That according to Jesus, what he practices is this radical hospitality, invitation, inclusion, welcoming, all of that. That Jesus is constantly opening up the table for people who never get invited to the table. And again, we see this throughout Luke, but let me read to you just one passage. One passage where all of a sudden his opponents, the religious elites actually, they show up and they accuse him of being too hospitable, of being too welcoming, of actually allowing too many people to the table. We read this in Luke 5, 29, verses 32. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other, gates, uh, other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Notice a few things. First, they don't go to Jesus because they don't want to be corrected. They're just going to spread gossip around him. Right? They're going to go to the other disciples and complain bitterly, why do you eat with such scum? With such scum. They are so hateful that Jesus is welcoming and actually practicing this gospel and this politics of welcoming, inclusion, of hospitality and invitation. Notice what Jesus answered them. This is why they didn't want to go to Jesus. Okay? Jesus can be pretty direct sometimes. Okay? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And what you can see from this text is that Jesus practiced radical welcome, radical hospitality, radical invitation. He did this so deeply that it made religious people upset. Which means, which means, if you are welcoming people into your home and your life with such a degree of acceptance and inclusion that religious people are upset, guess what? You're doing a good job, amen? Like according to this text, right? That if religious people say, hey, 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 you're way too accepting, that's actually the same charge that they bring to Jesus. And Jesus reminds them, my table is about welcoming people in. It's about invitation, hospitality, and welcome. We also see this later on in Luke, on the passage I preached, actually just a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, on this idea of like bigger tables and wider doors. 
where Jesus says, don't just invite friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. He says instead, invite the poor, right, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, the people who are marginalized, the people on the outside of the circles. Invite them in. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting in those who could not repay you. Then Jesus went further in this teaching, and he says this, And so go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. That if you're going to describe Jesus and his politics, I think you have to do it in such a way that you actually name and mention and actually raise up the fact that Jesus practiced radical welcome, that he privileges the poor, the hurting, and the marginalized, that the life ministry and example of Jesus is about a politics of welcome. So there's giving, justicing, welcoming. Lastly, I want to take a look at serving and sacrificing. That Jesus actually has a view of power, and it's quite different than the view of power in our world. It's quite different than the politics in our world. And Jesus, in Luke 22, is actually going to share with us how he lives, and then how his kingdom runs according to power. Let's see what he says. I'm going to read it to you and then make a number of comments on it. So we read this in Luke 22. So Jesus told them, in this world, this is, I think, the best description of politics in our day and age, okay? Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, among you, it will be different. Christians are to act differently than those in power. Christians are called to act differently than those in power. Listen to this, it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. He says, no, 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 but not here. Right? That's what they thought in that day and age. The one with the power, the one with the prestige, the one with the rank and the title, they're the most important. Jesus says, no, 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 not here. Not in his kingdom. Not in his politics. Not in his way of doing life. He says this, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. That Jesus Christ, can we say amen to this, is the ultimate servant. Amen? Right? He serves us. He's the ultimate servant. And this is why I think if you start to understand this passage and how power functions for Christ, you'll start to understand why I shared even last week very, very strongly that there will never be a Christian political party. There won't be. There just can't be. It's actually like idolatry. And here's why. Okay? Here's why. Here's why political parties exist in our world, okay? Political parties exist in our world to actually amass power, to maintain power, and to gain power. That's why they exist. Political parties exist to maintain, amass, and actually hold on to power. That's part of the very function and purpose. But according to Christ, according to Christ, the way that Christians are called to actually function is to serve, sacrifice, and give up power. We aren't trying to be searching for power and privilege. We're called to serve and sacrifice for every single person. This is how his kingdom functions. Jesus says this directly. Those who are among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Honestly, do we see any politician living that out? Really? Like, really? Like, no, because they're not looking to serve and give away power. They're looking to gain more power. Right? That's what it is. Jesus, actually, in the, one of the most descriptive things of our world, says this. In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. They're called friends of the people. This describes politics perfectly today. Okay? 
This describes whether you are, I don't know, like, like Ford, Trudeau, Polyev, Singh, really any of them, that notice with me in all of their campaigns for power, which is what they are, right, campaigns, trying to get votes and power, notice with me, all of them want to be perceived as one of the people, do they not? It's like a friend of the people, right? All of a sudden, they're wearing hard hats for the first time in like their lives or whatever, right? And this goes across the board, or they're all like rolling up their sleeves because we're hard workers, right? Or they're there with their families to be like, we're normal, like you, take a look at this, right? Trying to distract us from the actual fact that what they're looking for is power to make decisions. Politics is based on power in our world. But Christ says, among you, among you, it'll be different. It needs to be different. It must be different. Among you, it will be different. That's what Christ says. Because a Christian utilizes power, but power to serve. This is why, and I might lose some of you here. That's okay. This is why substantially, I don't believe that actually Trudeau or Polyev are any different. Because substantially, they're just about power. One's trying to hold on to it. The other's trying to gain it. But ultimately, it comes down to power. But Christ is actually, no, 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 not among you. You must be the servant of all. That's how we function. That's how we live. That's the Christ-like politics is serving and sacrificing. We are not in it for position. We are not in it for power. We are not in it for rank or for title. We are in it to follow Christ and his Christ-likeness, which is to serve and sacrifice for everyone. So what does this mean for us all here today? Because I know we've looked at a lot of different verses today, and really what I'm trying to do is give you a summary of the politics of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. That's really what we're doing. And to me, when I take a look at the Gospel of Luke, what I see really are these four themes of giving, justicing, welcoming, and serving. Okay? Giving, justicing, welcoming, and serving. And I think I'm on pretty strong theological grounds to say that this is the politics of Jesus. This is the real ministry of Jesus. Not only because of his ministry, not only because of his clear example, not only because of his explicit teaching, but also... Those four themes of giving, justicing, welcoming, and sacrificing are also actually really core to his death and resurrection. They're actually central to the cross. If you describe Jesus' cross and Jesus' death and resurrection for us, you must describe the cross, right, as an act of giving. Amen? Jesus gives up his life for each and every one of us. It's an act of giving. It's an act of giving. You also must describe the cross as an act of justice as well. It's justice working because it actually redeems you and me and makes things right. It makes us right and just with God. The cross is an act of justice. The cross is also an act of welcoming everyone because Jesus dies for everyone and actually proclaims forgiveness is available to every single person. The cross obviously, obviously in the most literal way, is also an act of sacrifice where Jesus sacrifices his life and his death for us. That if you look at the life, the ministry, the teaching, the example, and the cross of Jesus Christ, you could describe it, and you need to describe it, as giving, justicing, welcoming, serving, and sacrificing. This is what the politics of Jesus looks like. And I think the more we get his politics clear in our, our minds the more we can start to see how misshapen and deformed politics in our world is, actually. That in our world, politics is not about giving. It's about amassing power. In our world, politics isn't about justice. It's not about making things right. It's about stating things, but often not actually fixing things. Like, not truly justice work. 
in our world and day and age, politics isn't about welcome. It's about creating more tribalism in us versus them. That's what it's about, right? That we want to make sure that we hate the other party and they have never had a good idea ever. That's how politics functions, right? It's not welcoming. It's not hospitable. In our world, politics certainly isn't about serving. It's about grasping for more power. This is why I said there is no Christian political party. If, though, there was ever a party that really did all of this, that was really all about giving radically to those in need, creating justice so that all would flourish, that functioned with radical and hospitality and welcome to those on the margins and had a commitment to serve, sacrifice, and give away power, if there was a party that did that, they would get my vote, okay? They would. But there isn't. There isn't. I want to be clear with this. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote, okay? Of course, I vote in every single election for every single thing, okay? I vote all the time. But what I think this matters for us is that when we vote, we are not giving allegiance to that party because, because there is no party politician or leader who I really believe lives up to the politics, expectations, and example of Jesus Christ, now, this doesn't mean that there aren't some better or worse votes, some better or worse politicians, some better or worse policies. It just means that when we vote, it should not give over our allegiance because that remains solely with Christ. As Krista likes to joke, because um, we vote differently all the time, okay? As Krista, I don't know if you know that, but we do, yeah. As Krista likes to joke, that throughout my life, I have voted for every single political party, okay? So you want to know where I stand? At one point, it was with you, wherever you were. So there you go, okay? Because, because... No party for me has my allegiance. Christ does. Christ does. Christ does. And when I come to voting, I try to look for those four things. Giving, justicing, welcoming, and sacrificing. Whoever does that best for our local community, that's where I would like to be a part of. But they do not get my allegiance. They do not get my faith. They do not get my trust. That remains solely and only and fully with Jesus Christ. Okay? So we're going to describe the politics of Jesus. Here's how I do it. I describe his politics as giving. Serving, justicing, and welcoming. Okay? Giving, serving, justicing, and welcoming. This is the politics of Christ. And if it's his politics, guess what? I think it should be ours too. Amen? If that's how he lives, this is how we are called to live. So today I have a challenge for you. Because there's always, you know, information. But really we come here for transformation. My challenge is one. My challenge is one you might not have been expecting actually. Okay? My challenge might be a little bit, I don't know, unexpected. Here's my challenge for you. Okay? For this week. I want you to get more political this week, okay? I want you to get more political. I want you to engage more politically. I want you to become more active politically. I want you to spend way more time on politics than you currently are, okay? Anyone want to take a guess though whose politics I want to invite you to engage in? Okay. The politics of Jesus. Yes, it's not a trick question. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want to invite you that if Jesus is about giving, justicing, welcoming, and serving, you need to be about giving, justicing, welcoming, and serving too. I want to invite you to practice those things, to live them out, to let that define us more than our political allegiance, that our allegiance goes to Christ. So today, practically, I want to invite you and challenge you to do all of those four things. So firstly, I want to invite you and to reflect on, are you giving? Giving matters. Giving is an act of allegiance. Giving shows what really matters to us. So I want to invite you and challenge you to give, to make generosity a habit. Do you want to know what we call the habit of generosity in church? Tithing. That's what it is. Tithing, where you consistently give of something that you, you, you gain to Christ. I want to invite you to make giving a habit in your life, to take seriously those verses where I read. If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. 
If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Or, Jesus, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Or he says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give, this is Jesus speaking, will determine the amount you get back. So I want to invite you to reflect on, are you giving? Are you someone who gives? Are you someone who has a habit of generosity? Are you actually practically supporting the work of Christ here in our church and what we're doing? And of course, of course, of course, when we're talking about generosity, it applies to way more than just finances, right? It applies to our time, the things we have, all that sort of stuff. But it's also true that we cannot be a generous person without it actually affecting our finances. So I invite you to think that through, okay? Are you seeking to give or are we kind of seeking to hold on to things? What I also want to note is that I know in today's day and age that it can be very difficult financially. I'm sure you've seen this too, but like our weekly budget for food just doesn't go as far anymore. Anyone else experiencing this? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. We just like, yeah, it's just not as easy as it was. And I know, I know with things like mortgage rates and interest rates and like, I don't know, rent problems and all of this, that it can be very, very difficult to give. I know how upsetting it can be when unexpected costs all of a sudden come up. This week, to be honest, uh, we found out we need braces for one of our kids. I feel like I'm taking out shares in dentistry right now. That's what it feels like, right? So I, I, I get that. I know that, okay? What I also know, though, is that this is the time then for Christians, when things are tight, to actually show that radical generosity of Christ and to give more than ever, right? So I want to challenge you. I really do want to challenge you to get serious about giving, about generosity, and about sharing, okay? But we also believe here, we also believe here that we have three values, grace, vulnerability, and discipleship, okay? And that this is a discipleship issue, but with vulnerability, I'll share with you where I'm at sometimes with it, that I know it can be really difficult. Um, so this week, actually, Krista texted me, and she came upon a need of a newcomer family uh, into Canada and who needed some money to pay for some medical bills and tests that aren't covered. So she said to me, she texted me, she's like, Andrew, uh, I'm going to cover these things. She just told me. I was like, well, don't we discuss things? But apparently not. Um, <laughs> we're now diving into marriage counseling right now. That's what's happening. Okay. And my gut reaction, and I know this is bad as a pastor, do you know what my gut reaction was? You probably guess it. Like, no, like, hon, we need to talk about these things. Like, why don't we pay, I don't know, for our son's dentist bills first over this? You know, I know something about God. God has a sense of humor, and he has a sense of timing. I was at work when she texted me this. You want to take a guess what I was doing at that very moment and what I was working on at that very moment? I was working on this sermon and this section. I had literally just wrote the words. So I want you to get serious about giving generosity and sharing. <laughs> so I texted her that, and she then, uh, I said, this is what I'm just working on. She's like, ha, that's God convicting you. I'm like, thanks, hon. Thanks for that. So she said it filled her soul and the other people's soul. I, I just want to like, just raise up the fact this is real world stuff, and I know it can be hard, but it also deeply, deeply, deeply matters to be someone who is generous. And sometimes it takes work, and sometimes it means like opening up things. I get that personally, so I want to invite you into that. Secondly, secondly, are you a person who is justicing, working for justice? I think in today's day and age, though, the word justice is like, it's very political in many ways, and it often amounts to, I don't know, posting on social media that you support this or that. That actually isn't what justice is about. Do you want to know what justice actually means like biblically in both the Hebrew and the Greek? Do you want to know what it means? It means to make something right. Anyone want to just be saying amen to this? That we need more things that are made right in our world. Amen? 
So I want to invite you to get really active about justice, but this doesn't mean posting things. This means about making something right. So I invite you to think through in your life, in your family, in your friendships, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community, is there something you can make right? Is there something you can make right? Is there something you can do to make something right? right? Let's think through in your workplace. Are there policies that need to be changed that you want to address? Are there people who are not welcomed that you want to welcome? Are there things that honestly just don't work in your workplace and are making it harder for good people? Change those things. Work to fix that. That's an act of justice. What about your family? What about your family? Is there some things that need to be fixed? Perhaps there's somebody who there's a broken relationship and you need to actually do some mediation and bring in somebody to fix a relationship. Maybe there's some boundaries that need to be placed or moved or changed or reasserted. Maybe there's some things that you can be involved in in your family to make right. That's justice work, right? That's justice work. What about your community? What about your community? Are there things that you can be working for? Can you be working with your school? Can you be working in your community? Maybe there's like a neighbor who's just lonely and you're going to actually meet with them. That's actually making something right. That's an act of justice. Maybe you're going to actually, I don't know, rake somebody else's leave rather than blow them onto someone else's yard or whatever. Right? That's an act of justice. That when we make things right, it is justice work. I think, though, for many of us, it doesn't feel like an act of justice unless it's big and grand. I just want to be clear with this. The acts of justice that change the world start off small every single time. They start off small every single time. So I want to invite you to practice justice in your daily life. This week, make something right. That's an act of justice. That's what Jesus invites us into. And then lastly, what about like welcoming and serving? Welcoming. We've talked a lot about over the series of belonging. Who are you welcoming? Are you practicing hospitality? Are you practicing welcome? Inviting people into your home and being someone that talks with others and is open to them. I want to invite you and challenge you to be someone who is hospitable. It is hard work, but it is absolutely needed in our world. Then what about serving too? What about serving? Are you serving? Are you sacrificing? Are you being like Christ in that? If you aren't serving, I want to invite you. You can serve here. We have lots of spaces and places where you can serve. You can go to our website, bethanycc.ca slash serve, and find a whole group of spaces and places where you can actually be involved and invested in changing the world here with us and joining with us. So today, my challenge is really simple. My challenge is to get more political, but not in the way of the world, right? But in the way of Christ, where he says, among you, it will be different. So might we give? Might we practice justice? Might we welcome? And might we serve? What's my main point? It's just that that's what the politics of Jesus looks like. It looks like giving, welcoming, serving, and acts of justice. And I want to invite you to be a part of it this week. And that through that, through that, we might show our allegiance to Christ and not to anyone else. Because that's where it belongs, with him, with him alone. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here this morning? God, I pray, would you help us to live this out? It is difficult at times to follow you with obedience and discipleship in these areas. So would you give us strength? Would you give us courage to be people of generosity, to be people of welcome, to be people of serving and sacrificing, to be people who make things right in our lives? God, I pray, would you give us wisdom to see the spaces where you're inviting us into and also courage to take those steps with you? God, I pray might each of us only and always have allegiance and faith and following and obedience to you. Might we follow you always. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.